Hello, and welcome to episode 150 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. First, a warm welcome to Selena K. and Christopher A., the newest members of the Modern Manager community. I hope you're finding the episode guides and guest bonuses helpful as you are on your Rockstar Manager journey. This community is a growing group of managers who share learnings and support each other while also getting access to additional resources to help their professional growth. To learn more, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And if you work for a government or nonprofit agency, you get 20% off of any membership level. Now, today we are talking diversity, equity, and inclusion and allyship. I've done a few different episodes on related topics, which I will link to in the show notes. But this episode is getting into the fundamentals of what we really mean when we say DE&I and how to be an ally. I want to be clear that I do not have years of experience in this area, but I have done a lot of work over the past 12 months to learn, reflect, grow, and I am still learning and still have a lot of learning to do and a lot of work to do because this is an ongoing journey. I also want to give a huge thank you to Debbie Biddle, my DEI practitioner certification instructor, who taught me a lot of what I am going to share with you, and Amelia Lamont for her incredible guide to allyship, which I have linked to in the show notes. So let's get to it. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Let's start with the basics. We hear companies say they're investing in diversity, equity, and inclusion, but what do those terms really mean and how are they interrelated? In short, diversity is about the variety of ways that we're different from each other. We often think of the most obvious things like race and gender, but diversity is much more expansive. It includes neurodiversity, which is how our brains work, our marital status and whether we have children, our educational background, mental health and physical ability, plus things like age, religion or spiritual practice, and even whether the primary language you use in work is your first language. Elements of diversity can be visible like body shape or invisible like sexual orientation. They can be things we're born with, like our ethnicity, or things that we have gained over time, like becoming a veteran. They can even be things by association, like if you're caring for an aging parent or have a child with special needs. Diversity is all about who we are and how those various elements have been privileged or marginalized historically in society. Diversity is not about me as a unique individual with my own quirks. It's about how these elements of who I am are interpreted consciously and unconsciously by others based on our cultural norms. This means that different countries and cultures will have different experiences or perspectives on various elements of diversity. And because we are complex humans, any single dimension of diversity rarely stands alone. Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality to describe how these dimensions of diversity intersect or come together in ways that compound privilege or marginalization. The importance of intersectionality, for me at least, is not about the hierarchy that it promotes, putting white men on top and black women on the bottom, but rather that we need to remember that any single identity does not tell us the whole story. For example, not all women have the same experience of gender because society does not see us only as women. Our age, race, body shape, and other factors impact how others treat us as women and how we then treat others. So I know that was a lot. So just to restate at the highest level, diversity is the many ways in which we are different from one another. And there are lots and lots and lots of ways. Now let's talk about equity. 
Equity is about removing barriers to full participation and correcting for systemic obstacles and providing everyone a truly fair opportunity. Now, what gets tricky is the differences between what is equal and what is equitable, especially in a work context. Here's a simple example. Let's say that your company is giving everyone a t-shirt with the company logo. That seems equal or fair, but what if all the t-shirts are size medium? Now, sure, everyone gets a t-shirt, but only a subset of people can actually wear that. We have to take into consideration the individual in addition to the group. So to compensate, we ask each person what size they want, and now we've given everyone a t-shirt that fits them. So in this case, it seems like we're talking about things being equal. One person, one shirt. But some people get more fabric and some people got less fabric. Is that fair? Is that equal? Well, does it really matter? Because the point is not that everyone got the same amount of fabric. The point is that everyone can wear their t-shirt. To me, that's how equity works. Now, when it comes to equity inside of an organization, it's about taking a hard look at your processes, policies, and practices, both explicit and the implicit cultural norms, to understand where they may be biased toward or more beneficial for certain groups of people. We've seen this happen with the changes to parental leave. Some of you may still remember when it was called maternity leave and only available to women, but people eventually agreed that new fathers should have the same benefit of time with their newborns. And it wasn't just about giving men the time off. It was also that only allowing women that leave put greater burden on new mothers, which perpetuated negative stereotypes and created unfair obstacles for women in their careers. So many organizations now have shifted to parental leave. And some have even advanced that to include leave for other types of dependent care, not just for newborns. Equity is also the implicit norms and individual unconscious biases that affect whether there's a level playing field. And this comes up in things that I had never even thought about before. For example, if a hiring team says to a search firm that they prefer a candidate who attended an Ivy League school, that doesn't actually narrow the field in an equitable way, because historically, people of color have been a small minority of graduates from Ivy Leagues, which is not about their capability, but rather the opportunities and access to those schools that were available to them. So we have to consider both how our formal organizational systems work towards equity, and also how we ourselves can interrupt patterns of inequity. And this brings us to inclusion. Now, I have heard many, many, many variations of the inclusion is being invited to the party, to inclusion is being asked to dance, to inclusion means that you are comfortable heading to the dance floor without having to be asked, to inclusion means you feel free to dance any which way you want, to Inclusion means you can dance or not any which way and no one will judge you for it. And for me, it's all those things. Inclusion is creating an environment where people feel comfortable to be their authentic self without fear or feeling like they need to code switch or adjust to fit in. It's about feeling that they can share their ideas and be respected for them. That people ask for their input and value it, even if it's not what they want to hear. That people can talk and dress in a style that represents who they are. This is about people feeling welcomed for being themselves and not feeling afraid to express their authentic self because of some judgment or other consequence. Now, here I have to add in a side note because over the weekend, I dyed my bangs bright pink and I have been pulling them back to hide them from certain clients because I was nervous they wouldn't think it was professional. But I am literally scolding myself right now that I even had that thought. Because if my clients are going to judge me to the point that they would stop working with me or would devalue my contributions simply because I now have pink bangs instead of blonde ones, I probably haven't gotten the right clients or I'm not doing a good job to begin with. 
So no more hiding my pink bangs. And if you want to see what they look like, head on over to Instagram and you can see some pictures at Mamie KS. Okay, side note over. So those were the definitions and the concepts of diversity, equity, inclusion. So now let's talk about what to do. And for today, I'm going to focus on allyship because in my experience, it's one of the most powerful things a person can do to start to create change in themselves and that has a positive impact on those around us. We aren't all in a position to be making big policy changes in our organization, but allyship can be done by anyone. No matter your role in the organization, no matter who you are, no matter your race, age, gender, we can all use the skills of allyship. So here's the basic concept. To be an ally means that you are taking on the struggles of the oppressed as your own, and when possible, you're amplifying their voices and transferring the benefits of your privilege to those who lack it. Now, that's not a perfect definition, and there is a lot missing, but the bottom line is that an ally is more than just being a good friend or doing the right thing in the moment. It's about owning your role, investing in your own personal growth and understanding the struggle that others experience, and lifting up the voices of those who are minimized or oppressed rather than speaking for them. Being an ally isn't always easy, and it's definitely a learning journey full of mistakes. But that doesn't give anyone an excuse from opting out. We can't make change if we aren't willing to be vulnerable, to stick with the hard things, and to change ourselves. I've shared this story before, but I think it's a good one to say again. I was in a meeting a couple of years ago where I made a statement that generalized all people's experience to be the same as my own. And someone called me out on it, and I felt like I was being scolded publicly, and my reaction was to just completely shut down and keep quiet. But a little later, someone smarter than me told me that disengaging is actually an assertion of my privilege and perpetuating the status quo, that I actually needed to stay in the conversation, accept the feedback, even if it was hard to hear, and do better going forward, that my comfort is not as important as my learning. To help illustrate this, I'm sharing a metaphor by Presley Pizzo called Boots and Sandals. I have linked to it in the show notes. It's part of the Guide to Allyship. But because this is really such a fantastic way to explain the way people respond when they aren't being an ally and when they are, I am going to actually read it verbatim. So I'm giving full credit to Presley for this entire next section. Imagine your privilege is a heavy boot that keeps you from feeling when you're stepping on someone's feet or they're stepping on yours while oppressed people only have sandals. If someone says, ouch, you're stepping on my toes, how do you react? Here are some of the problematic responses. Centering yourself. I can't believe you think I'm a toe stepper. I'm a good person. Denial that others' experiences are different from your own. I don't mind when people step on my toes. Derailing. Some people don't even have toes. Why aren't we talking about them instead? Refusal to center the impacted. All toes matter. Tone policing. Well, I'd move my foot if you'd ask me more nicely. Denial that the problem is fixable. Toes getting stepped on is just a fact of life. You'll be better off when you accept that. Victim blaming. You shouldn't have been walking around people with boots. Withdrawing. I thought you wanted my help, but I guess not. I'll just go home. Now here are some of the right ways to react. Center the impacted. Are you okay? Listen to their responses and learn. Apologize for the impact even though you didn't intend it. I'm sorry I stepped on your toes. Stop the instances. Or move your foot out of the way. Stop the pattern. Be careful where you step in the future and work to change the footwear to get rid of privilege and oppression. 
for example, sneakers for all. And it helps to start by being grateful for the opportunity to learn, rather than embarrassed by the fact that you didn't already know. So start by saying, thanks for letting me know, which puts you in a better mindset and encourages a positive cycle of trust. Again, that was from Presley Piso called Boots and Sandals. So now what does allyship look like in action in the workplace? Well, it starts with awareness. Whether that awareness comes from a woman telling you, hey, I'm not sure you realize this, but you interrupted me a few times during that last meeting. Or a colleague pointing something out, like, I noticed you gave everyone credit for their work on the project, except for the person of color on our team. Or maybe the awareness came because you read an article or a book. Or you listened to a podcast or watched a video. Whatever it was, something has now made you more aware of the systemic nature of bias and inequity that commonly shows up in the workplace. One approach that I find helpful to spot bias is to ask myself, if the situation were reverse, would I think that's normal? If you haven't seen the film, I Am Not an Easy Man, on Netflix, this is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. It's a French film where a man wakes up in a world where gender roles are reversed. It's really funny how there are aspects of life that I don't give a second thought to. And then, suddenly I am so aware of them simply because the gender roles are reversed. So when you engage with your colleagues, start paying attention to things like who speaks first during meetings? Who gets credit for ideas? Who do you invest time and energy in developing? Who do you say thank you to or show appreciation to? Who do you give feedback to? And who do you turn to for help? We can proactively begin to shift our behavior to be more inclusive and equitable. We can ask certain people not to speak first in a meeting and encourage other people to jump in sooner. We can make sure that we are giving everyone on our team feedback, both positive reinforcement and growth-oriented. We can catch ourselves when we think things like, oh, Mamie's a mom, so she probably won't want to attend that evening event. Let's just ask Justin instead. Or, ooh, let's do a wine tasting for our team retreat without being cognizant that someone on the team may be a recovering alcoholic. Or, and this happened to me in a meeting recently that I was leading, everyone, please color code your responses so we can easily organize them. And then have a participant message you privately that they are colorblind. If and when something is brought to your attention, it is all about how you respond. I used to be a big fan of the norm, assume best intent. But I have since learned that this particular norm is actually dismissive to the impact that our actions and words have on other people. Sure, intent is important, but so is impact. And if we ask people to simply assume that we had good intentions, we will keep making the same mistakes and they will have to continue to suffer from that. So instead, I learned about the norm, oops and ouch. With this norm, you're asked to acknowledge that your words or actions didn't land as intended and accept responsibility for the ouch that they caused. As in the case of the color coding incident, I apologized and suggested to everyone instead to number their responses. And going forward, I will never rely on group color coding again. Being an ally doesn't mean that we have to always get it right. It means that we have to be self-reflective and accept that we will get it wrong and that we need to stay in the work and do better going forward. It also means that we need to speak up and lift up other voices. If you notice something going on in your team, please don't ignore it. We can all help each other learn. You don't need to be young to see when young people are being dismissed or not taken seriously. And you don't need to be a woman to notice that women are often asked to take notes in a meeting. You don't need to be a parent to acknowledge that working from home during the pandemic is doubly stressful and messy. And you don't need to be a person of color to notice that not enough of the faces on your team look like you. 
The mini guide for today's episode is available at themodernmanager.com slash mini guides. To get the full guide to today's episode, join the Modern Manager community. Go to themodernmanager.com slash join. And when you join, you get access to all of the previous guides and guest bonuses. And of course, there's lots of good stuff there. If you just want this episode guide, you can purchase it and any other full guide at themodernmanager.com slash shop. The links are in the show notes and they're in your inbox along with that free mini guide if you subscribe to my newsletter. To get on that list, go to themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rockstar boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.